Can you believe that it's been 15 years today? 15 years ago, on that bright, cloudless morning in New York, when those two jets flew into the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center, I guarantee if you were alive at that time and you were old enough to remember, you know exactly where you were and what you were doing. I was a junior in high school. And immediately when news came out that this had happened, the TVs went on in every classroom of my high school in Chattanooga. And as I watched as a high school junior, I didn't really understand the gravity of the situation. Sure, it was disturbing. It was confusing. In those early moments of the crisis, we didn't know what was going on. The moment when I began began to understand the magnitude of the situation, the moment when I came to understand that this would change our world, was when the first tower came down. You see, even in the initial news footage, there was talk in my high school classroom. People were still, even some students still joking around because we, we couldn't quite understand what was going on. But when that first tower collapsed, there was silence. And then the second tower came down. And to see the dust and the smoke and the debris and to know that there were thousands of lives lost in that moment, disturbing is not the word. I don't know what the word is. But we knew in that moment that the world would again never be the same. I have a picture up here of Ground Zero in Manhattan right after the tragedy occurred. Just a shell of the buildings still standing. Twisted steel and debris. And there they are, the first responders, looking at it with a sense of disbelief and helplessness. Where do we even begin in cleaning up this mess? One reason I bring this all up is because I want this image this morning to be a controlling metaphor for our thoughts today. I want this picture to represent something bigger, a a bigger idea. What I want this picture to do for us is to represent our world as a whole. Because our world as a whole doesn't look much better than this, figuratively speaking. Our world as a whole has been wrecked, has been devastated, has been laid to waste by one little three-letter word. So easy to speak, it just rolls right off the tongue. It seems so harmless, but it's anything but that. The word is sin. Sin has laid waste to this world, has left wreckage that is so much more immense than what was found at Ground Zero on that morning of September 11th, 2001. Sin has devastated this world. Because of human rebellion, 
the rebellion of our ancestors, Adam and Eve, this world is cursed. And the rebellion didn't end with them. We continue to rebel. And so we continue to live within this cursed world and to perpetuate this sinfulness that wreaks havoc on our world every day and creates such devastation and destruction. This world is a dark and broken place because of sin. Sin is the great, one of the the things that sin destroys is relationships. It is the great wrecker of relationships. In fact, one of the best, most helpful, most biblical ways to talk about sin is to talk about it in terms of relationships. Because that's what sin does. That gets to the heart of what sin is. It destroys the relationships that God established at the very beginning of time. Of course we know that sin destroys our relationship with God. It did so for Adam and Eve. They shared perfect communion with God. And the moment that they chose to go their own way instead of listen to God, destroyed their communion with God. Our trespasses separate us from a holy God. God is so perfect, He is so sinless, He cannot be in the presence of sin, and therefore He cannot be in the presence of us because we are sinful beings. Our sins, the sins of humanity, have created a chasm between us and God that makes the Grand Canyon look like a drainage ditch. And there's nothing that we can do to bridge this gap between us and God of our own strength and ability, we are helpless to reconnect ourselves with God. But as you know, the destruction of sin doesn't stop there. It doesn't just destroy our relationship with God. It destroys our relationships with each other. It did this for Adam and Eve. God put them together and they shared a perfect, peaceful, harmonious union. And then suddenly, sin introduces strife. And sin introduces disagreement. And their relationship, which was once perfect, is now marred. And it's damaged. Sin does the same thing for our relationships. Robert Bentley, the governor of the state just to our south, Alabama, he's been in the news the last few months for all the wrong reasons. He's been in the news because he has been involved in an affair with one of his top staffers that has become very ugly, very public. And this affair has all but ruined his political reputation. But even more importantly than that, much more importantly than that, this decision, this sinful decision on his part, has destroyed his relationships with his family. He and his wife, Diane, married 50 years. They divorced just a few months ago. And he and his relationship with his kids and grandkids, it is all but over as well. I read a very sad article about this this whole situation just a month or two ago, and I want you to listen to the very last paragraph of this article about Bentley and the trouble that he's gotten himself into. These days, when he goes home to the governor's mansion, once a splendid reminder of how far he'd come, It sits empty, save for the chef. If the hour is late, even he'll be gone, having left the governor his dinner on a counter. Bentley no longer talks to his family 
He is yet to meet his eighth grandchild, born after he'd fallen out with his son. And on weekends, he no longer heads to the beach house. His, his ex-wife, Diane, got it in the divorce. Instead, he'll steer that pale blue pickup out to his pond, the one where he and Rebecca, his mistress, were suspected to have once met. And he'll toss a fishing line into the water alone. Alone. That is where sin leaves us. Both in our relationship with God and in our healthy, God-honoring relationships with one another. But the worst news of all, and this is all bad news, but the worst of all is that sin brings about eternal destruction. The destruction and the damage and the devastation, it doesn't end in this life. It carries forward forevermore. Paul in Romans says it most succinctly. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. The wages of sin is death. The payment for sin, for being a sinner, for being embroiled in sin, is eternal damnation. It's death. That is the fair payment for those of us, and that's all of us, who are sinners. Sin fills our world with devastation and destruction. Sin fills our world with darkness. In the book of Amos, the nation of Israel is about to enter a very dark period because of their sin. Listen to what Amos has to say, in, or really what God has to say, speaking through Amos in chapter 6, verse 14. For behold, I will raise up against you a nation, O house of Israel, declares the Lord, the God of hosts. Because of their extreme abuse of others and because of their neglect of God's will, God says, I am bringing punishment your way. I'm going to raise up a nation against you. And he elaborates in chapter 3, verse 11. He says, and adversaries shall surround the land. They shall bring down your defenses from you and your strongholds shall be plundered. Make no mistake about it. You face a punishment from which you cannot escape. That's what God says to Israel. And the majority of this book is about the darkness that Israel is about to experience. Assyria, this foreign nation, is to be the instrument of God's judgment on the people. They are going to come in. They are going to lay waste to the nation. They are going to take many people off into exile. And the news is so bad. The message that God gives to Amos to deliver to the people is so heavy, so negative, that there's a prophet in the middle of this book in chapter 7, a priest rather, who goes to Israel's king Jeroboam and he says to the king, the land is not able to bear all Amos' words. We cannot handle it. The news is so bad. It's, it's so weighty. We, we just, we can't handle it. But Amos has been given a message from the Lord and he must deliver it. And at one point, God through Amos even says, the end has come upon my people, Israel. Prepare to meet your God. Punishment is here. The end has come. Except, God also says this in Amos. It won't really be the end. Yes, the end is coming. Yes, you will face punishment because of your sin. Yes, you are about to enter into 
one of the darkest periods in the history of your nation, but it won't really be the final end. God also says there's a future beyond the darkness, a bright one. And he provides a glimpse of a brighter future beyond this period of devastation that they face for the time being. In October of 2001, as crews were working tirelessly to clean up the debris down at Ground Zero, a calorie pear tree was discovered beneath the rubble. It was severely damaged. I've got a picture of it. Snapped roots, burned and broken branches, but it was still alive. And so the tree was removed from Ground Zero and it was placed in the care of the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation and workers nursed it back to health. And after its recovery and rehabilitation, the tree, it was returned to the World Trade Center Memorial back in 2010. And if you go up there, you can see this tree. They call it the survivor tree. And if you look at it, you can see there are new limbs that extend from the gnarled stumps. And there's a visible separation there between the trees past and present. And the survivor tree for many has become a symbol of hope for a brighter future. In the book of Amos, there's a lot of darkness. There's a lot of devastation. But in the midst of that destruction, we find that God has planted a survivor tree. An image of hope for the future. Check out Amos chapter 9, verse 8. This is when I want you to take out your Bible and go with me to the book of Amos, if you would. Grab a Bible, your Bible, a Bible. Access God's Word in some way and go with me to the book of Amos, chapter 9, verse 8. Listen to what God says. Behold, the the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom. We talk about wanting God to watch over us, to look down upon us, to have His eyes upon us. We talk about this image in a very positive way. This is not a positive image here. God says, I'm watching you. I've got my eyes on you and on your sinful ways, and I will destroy it from the surface of the ground. I'm bringing destruction. But listen to what he says in the same verse. Except that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. A glimmer, a glimpse of hope into the future. Yes, I'm bringing destruction, but no, I want you to know, despite my judgment, despite the punishment that you most definitely deserve, you will not be completely erased from the face of the earth. And I have a future planned for you. He hints at this hopeful future during the darkest hour of Israel's history, and then this glimpse that we get in verse 8, it turns into a full-blown vision of the future in our text today, which is verses 11 through 15. Let me read those again. And this is what closes out the book of Amos. Up until now, we've got judgment. Up until now, we've got destruction. Up until now, we've got devastation. And now, at the end, a drop of water, a glimmer of hope is given by God to His people. In that day, God says, I will raise up the booth of David that has fallen. And I'll repair its breaches. I'll raise up its ruins. I'll rebuild it 
as in the days of old, that they may possess the remnant of Edom, Edom and all the nations who are called by my name. So the future is not only going to bless Israel, it's going to bless all the nations as God has intended from the very beginning. From the time of Abraham, God wants to use his people as a way to bless all the people. And so that's what God's great future includes. It's not just going to be good for his historic people in the Old Testament. It's going to be good for all people. And of course, I'm getting ahead of myself here, but we experience the fulfillment of that through Jesus Christ, who is to be the Savior of all the earth. Behold, the days are coming, verse 13, declares the Lord, when the plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed, and the mountains shall drip sweet wine and all the hills shall flow with it. Verse 14, I will restore the fortunes of my people, Israel. Oh my, how they longed to hear those words come from the mouth of God after all the words of judgment. After the judgment, I will restore you. And they shall rebuild the ruined cities and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards. They'll drink their wine. They shall make gardens and eat their fruit. I will plant them on their land. They shall never again be uprooted out of the land that I have given them. Now I'm struck by many things in this vision. But one of the things that stands out to me is how it shows that God is the great restorer of relationships. Sin wrecks relationships, our relationship with God, our relationship with each other. But God brings everything and everybody back together. Their enjoyment of the abundance here, and this is implied, this is not just stated here in the text, but it depends on their obedience to the Lord and their gratitude for the blessings that they they have received. That was a problem before. They didn't appreciate what God had given them. They took it for granted. They forgot about all the blessings that they had received. God says, you can enjoy this abundance as long as you say thank you to me. As long as you're content and you're grateful with what I've been given. And you're not out chasing more and using people and manipulating other people to get more. I want you to be grateful and I want you to be obedient. And if you enjoy the blessings under those conditions, then you'll be blessed. And then look here also at how the people are working. In this vision of the future, the people will live in peace with all the nations and their work is going to be pleasant and productive. The plowman shall overtake the reaper and the treader of grapes, him who sows the seed. People are working together all the different roles and jobs in tandem with one another in peace and harmony together. This is an image of how God brings broken relationships back together. And so what God is saying at the end of Amos is that the darkness that you're about to experience, Israel, the darkness that is coming upon your nation will eventually give way to dawn. As God, as the psalmist says back in Psalm uh, the 30th Psalm, verse His anger is but for a moment, but what? His favor is for a lifetime. His anger is not going to last forever, but his favor will. And what else does the psalmist say? Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You are entering a period of darkness. You will face judgment and punishment, God says to Israel And it may seem 
like it's not going to end. You may not be able to, on your own strength, look at the end of it and see any sort of hope. But let me tell you something. Weeping may tarry for the night. But I promise you, I will restore your fortunes. And there will be a dawn. There will be a day to come. There will be a bright future. And joy will come with the morning. Now what about the darkness in our world? As we look around, as we see the effects of sin in our own lives, as we look deep within us and see how our heart often deceives us, as we look deep within at the the sinful desires that lurk within us, and as we look without, as we see all the evidence and the wreckage that sin has created in our world, the effects of sin, of our own sin, of the sins of our friends and family members, because sin doesn't just ruin one person's life. When one person sins, it's not contained to that one person. It affects all kinds of people, people in your family and in your church and your friends. It leaves us this big, long chain of wreckage in its wake. And so as you think about the darkness around you, the darkness in our world, it may, be, it may be tempting to you to abandon all hope and to say it's not really going to get any better. This is, this is the best that we're going to be able to do. I'm not going to really be able to be freed from my sins. I'm not ever going to be able to be freed from the effects of the sins of others. One of my preaching professors tells about a character from the movie As Good As It Gets. His name is Melvin Udall played by Jack Nicholson. He's an eccentric, middle-aged recluse. He's obnoxious, he's bigoted, he's rude, he's obscene. But that's just the beginning. He makes the lives of everyone that he knows totally miserable. He's so obsessive-compulsive that he seldom ventures out of his apartment except to eat at a local restaurant. His life is a total mess. And there's a scene in the movie when he becomes so desperate for help that he risks leaving his apartment to visit his psychiatrist. He's got to go see his psychiatrist, but the psychiatrist, when he arrives, is not very happy with him because he's come for an unscheduled visit, and he insists that Melvin leave and call and make an appointment. And as Melvin is leaving, he's going out through the waiting room, he he stops, and he looks around at all the other patients in the waiting room, and with disgust, he says, have any of you ever considered that the possibility that this is as good as it gets. And then he leaves. And sometimes we're tempted to look around and to say that. You know what? This is, this is just as good as it gets. This is as good as it's ever going to be. But the present world is not as good as it gets. Yes, Israel faced darkness and devastation and punishment, but God at the end, He leaves them with a glimmer of hope and He says, yes, You are going to experience a really hard time, but on the other side of the darkness, there's a future waiting for you. There's a bright future, and I want you to be able to see it in the midst of the destruction. I want you to get a vision of it. And God wants to give us a vision of the future that we can be assured of if we have faith in Jesus Christ. This is not as good as it gets. It's going to be better. It's not even even close to being as good as it gets. Right now, we've talked about one tree. Let me tell you about another tree. 
This tree was also found in the midst of violence and destruction and horror. On this tree hung a man condemned to die for crimes that he did not commit. Instead, he carried within, it, within him the crimes of all humanity. And in our darkest hour, when we were sinners, helpless to save ourselves, he languished in the wreckage of our sins. God had sent him. It was his son and savior to die for us on that cross, on that tree. This savior who knew no sin, he became sin. So that we could become righteous before God. And this tree, this cross, has not only become a symbol of hope. It's much more than a symbol. It is the assurance of a brighter future. And through the death of His Son on the cross, God promises to bring about a new and even better life for us. Maybe we're, we're in night right now. Maybe we're in darkness But, even though it might seem like it's going to last forever, even though it might seem long and unending, God says, it's going to end someday. It's not going to last forever. Think about the dark effects of sin in your life. If your faith is in Jesus Christ, those will come to an end. If they're your sins and you've repented of them, then the effects of those are not going to last forever. If they're the sins of somebody else and they have have somehow negatively affected your life, the effects of those are not going to last forever. The night will someday come to a close. And the cross assures us of that. The cross assures us that the destruction of this age will someday pass away and that a new age of peace will dawn. God is going to plant us in a new land. One with no tears or death or mourning or crying or pain a land from which we will never again be uprooted. And in the darkness of night, we, like the Israelites, need to be able to see that vision. We need to be able to catch a glimpse of our future so that we can carry on trudging forward towards that glorious land where God is leading us. Now, we've got a job to do in the interim. Until this bright future comes, our mission is to provide glimpses of it to our neighbors. We don't just sit around and wait for the new age to arrive. No, we act as if the future is already here. We live like it's already arrived. We exist to provide a preview of what's coming to the people around us. On November 22nd of last year, Jeff Lewis A 22-year-old pizza delivery man, he delivered eight boxes of pizza to the LifePoint Church in Mentor, Ohio. And they invited him in, and in addition to the money for the pizza, this church, they brought him up on the stage, and they gave him a tip that exceeded $700. 22-year-old pizza delivery guy. Little did they know, Jeff Lewis had been struggling with an addiction to painkillers. And shortly after this experience, Jeff Lewis got into his car and he recorded a video of himself on his phone talking about the experience and he posted it on YouTube. And it's been viewed over 4 million times. 
And in the video, Jeff, he's fighting back tears, and this is what he has to say about this church. It's just truly amazing, you know. I've been having such a hard time lately, just struggling to stay clean and everything. And I'm just trying to get my life back, and it just really, truly amazes me that people that don't even know me just wanted to help me out that much. And he closes the video with just one word. Blessed. Blessed. This young man, struggling through a dark season in his life, was given a glimmer of hope and a glimpse into the abundant future that God is bringing about. And these are the type of acts that God has called us to complete in our lives of faith as well. If you're walking in darkness this morning, Jesus wants to bring you into the light. He wants to show you a glimpse into a bright future that is assured no matter how dark your night is right now. No no matter how dark the experience of your life might be. And you can come and you can get in on that future. If you confess your faith in Jesus Christ, if you repent of your sins, and if you're buried in that watery grave of baptism, the act at which your sins are removed from you, and you come up and you're a new creature, you're you're sin-free, and God can provide that vision of a glorious future that will sustain you every step of the way throughout this life, no matter how dark it gets. If you need strength or encouragement this morning, we also invite you to come at this time, or if you'd like to meet with a couple of our elders for prayer, they'll be available at the close of this worship service. Would you take advantage of this song that we're about to sing, a song that is meant to encourage you and invite you forward? If there's something missing in your life, if you need spiritual healing in one way or the other, this is the time for you to come while we stand and sing.